Hi, welcome to Lambert Park Church. Our vision is life with God for the world. Our mission is to invite everyone to follow Jesus with us through redemptive community, intentional discipleship, and everyday mission. We're so glad you're here. Stay tuned for the podcast coming right up. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for uh, David and his obedience to you, uh, Lord. Uh, even though he's not on staff here, uh, he's willingly stepped into just preaching your word for us um, here at Lambrick. And I, I just thank you, God, for the word that you've put on his heart as he's been preparing this for, for months, um, God, looking forward to this moment. Um, we know that your spirit has been at work in his heart, uh, putting things together as he's been studying, putting ideas together, uh, but also speaking clearly to, to his own heart and in his own life um, to prepare him for this morning. So I just pray for us that on the receiving end, we'd have open hearts, uh, open ears, open minds to be able to receive uh, what you want to say through David. Um, We just ask that your spirit be upon him this morning uh, as he opens Psalm 131 for us. And in Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Oh, good morning, everyone. It is my joy to be with you this morning, and uh, it's been a joy to be part of this sermon series in the Psalms of Ascent. Uh, I love the imagery of this idea of moving on a journey with God and to God. And we have had a lot of different Psalms because this journey of life uh, takes us in different spots, in different times and seasons. And as I've envisioned uh, this Psalm 131 from the perspective of a journey, I feel it's more like a rest stop along the way. In fact, the reading this morning was the entirety of Psalm 131. It's just a simple three verses. So as we move on our journey upward to God, you know, there's sometimes you just need to pause and take a rest. Psalm 131 isn't really labeling the destination, as it were, but it's saying, okay, we're moving towards God. We're on this pilgrimage. We're getting close to the end. Let's just take a deep breath and and gather our strength for the next step ahead. You know, the heart of this simple psalm is the center of it. There's this phrase that's caught my attention. I've stilled and quieted my soul. It's not difficult to understand. But I think the most challenging part of this psalm is that it is expressed in a way that it sounds like you've arrived. Like it says, I have a stilled and quiet soul which always leads me to say, is that true of my life? I mean, it seems that as David wrote this psalm, he was in this space. And as we might hear this psalm and have a life that's busy or difficult or just life, you might feel like, oh, can I say this about myself? I mean, this wider world is on fire and at war, And in the busyness of the battle of everyday living, amidst family worries and uncertain futures, I know I need this, a stilled and quiet soul. 
And so while the experience may be elusive, I hope in this morning that you can agree that this is something that you'd like to experience. And I feel that the worship leaders have led us into this, and I hope that this text will awaken in you this desire. But as elusive as this may be, I think it's a, there's a possibility that we need to pursue. Uh, Janet uh, Anderson, Scott's wife, gave me a, a, a text from one of her journals of, of biblical counseling, and the fellow David Paulson is his name, says, you know, this still and quiet soul is not the blissful and unfettered detachment, a meditative state of mind or consciousness. It's not about having an easygoing personality or having low expectations. It's not retirement to the life of ease and wealth. It's not the quieting of the inner noise with a glass of wine. The still and quiet soul is not found in retreat from this world. We may sense it, but this is something that's available to us in the midst of living. It was written by King David, the warrior king, the hunted fugitive, the father of rebels, and the architect of unfaithful sexual complexity. His life was anything but simple. And if he can write a psalm like this, maybe we have half a chance to experience a quiet and still place deep within our lives. So moments of simplicity and rest, they might help, but they're not what we're pursuing. The still and quiet soul is something a little different. So let's sit back, take a deep breath, and ask God to lead us into this contentment. Lord, is there something here for us in these verses that can show us a way to a still and quiet soul? Well, let's return to the beginning of this psalm where it says, my heart is not proud, O Lord, and my eyes are not haughty. I'm not full of myself, and I'm not looking down on anyone else. I'm going to have a little bit more later to say about what it means to be in a humble position before God, but right now I'd like to focus on this idea of the danger of comparison with others, with each other. The haughty eyes, it's not a word we often use, it's, it's the eyes that kind of look down on others. It's that sense of feeling superior. But the recipe for contentment for a still and quiet soul does not include comparison. Even if you think you're winning, comparison will only stir up the soul. I'm not saying that competition is wrong in sports or business or games or, or what have you. What I'm talking about is the, 
comparison that maybe looks with, at others with a bit of contempt, kind of say, well, yeah. Or even worse, it's the sense that, well, I'm doing better than them. I must be doing okay, right? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm not that bad. It's that self-justification. But holiness is not a zero-sum game. If I grow closer to the Lord, it has no bearing on reducing your closeness with him. My soul is not improved by the distance or failure of others. So when you have a judgmental heart, one that looks down, those haughty eyes, it's just a matter of time before uh, someone different comes along and you look worse. <laughs> and it makes you look smaller and you feel like, okay, what do I need to do more? What, I've got to be better. I've got to meet their standard. Look at them. They're so mature. Why am I not there? And your soul gets stirred up. And you struggle with those comparisons. Because comparison is only ever really a doorway to jealousy. It's a soul destabilizer, convincing us that we need to do more and be better and perform more so that God will accept us, so that we can meet the standards that we see in others. But, but God's doing a different work in your neighbor, in your friend, in your family member. And comparison is not a way to find a still and quiet soul. It can also lead to that lazy destabilization where you think, okay, I've hit a pretty good spot. I've hit this plateau on my ascent to God. I'm, I'm in a pretty good spot. Why don't I just kind of rest here for now, forever? So assumptions of personal superiority or judgment on other people's paths will not bring you peace. Consider the second part of that first verse, where it says, I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. Now, there are many things beyond my control and many more beyond my understanding. This may sound like a a verse with a bit of an excuse. Well, I'm not going to worry about hard things. I'm not going to seek adventure. I'm not going to take risks. Uh, that's not what this is getting at. It's not saying give up on life and, and give up on doing anything important. But, you know, it doesn't take much to realize that there are a lot of things outside of our control and a lot of things that happen to us that we may not understand and may never understand. I think of Job who suffered and then said, Lord, what's going on here and what did the Lord do? He didn't come and give him an answer why. He said, here I am, I'm the great God and things are more complex than you'll ever know. A quiet and still soul, however, is found more in that sense of awe, of the sense of, wow, Things are bigger than me. I'm sure glad I follow a God who is in control, who can care for all the great and wonderful things. The quiet and still soul is not 
figuring everything out for yourselves. It's not about what you know. It's about who you know. And when you're in a relationship with the God of the universe, you can be content to leave things in his hands. Last week, I saw the movie Oppenheimer about the making of the atomic bomb, and it brought back memories of my high school years where the biggest fear, the thing in all the movies and all the worries was nuclear war. Like, this could end my life. And it was something that was kind of that background anxiety in the 80s, uh, which got mostly resolved at the end of the 80s and the end of the coming down of the Berlin Wall and all of that. And, and today, what are our background worries? I think it's probably more around climate change and the things that we see around us in that way. There's a, a survey that was done. They'd surveyed about 10,000 people between age 16 and 25, and they asked them about um, the worries around climate and 59% said they were very or extremely worried about climate change. And more, to, more than 45, almost half of them, said that the feelings about climate change negatively affected their daily life and functioning. That's staggering. And it's worrisome to me as a, one that cares about souls. Because these background anxieties, even if they do amount to something, are the enemy, of course, of the quiet and still soul. So how do we deal with all of the things that might be disturbing us? Well, these are great and wonderful things that thankfully are not ours to manage. I don't think this psalm is saying give up on being involved in the solution. It's not saying don't take steps to resolve issues, don't uh, lead into politics or uh, environmentalism or whatever needs to be done. But it's saying you're not the Messiah. Thankfully, that job is filled, that Jesus is strong, that God is on the throne. I think that's the message of the book of Revelation, all the the symbolism and the crazy symbolism and all the things that are happening in this world, the message is, is that the Lamb, Jesus, is on the throne and he's in control and all the great and wonderful worries that we have are his to manage and ours to participate in. We don't give up on playing our role. God calls us to take care of this planet, to Work with him. But at the bottom of it all, we're safe in his arms. The quiet and still soul can only be found in the confidence in God who oversees all the great matters and wonderful things in this world. So stop running around as if it all depends on you. You do have a part to play but you're never meant to go it alone. I love the imagery that comes to us in the second verse. 
After saying, but I have a stilled and quiet soul, it says, like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. You know, it's been a long while since I've had small children in my home, even longer since I've had infants in the arm. But the memories can come back to me as I review the photos. Um, a weaned child is one who has graduated from mother's milk. Um, we often will use this term weaned in a more uh, general sense to be weaned off of a medication, to be weaned off of something that uh, we're really attached to. An infant is utterly dependent. And when something's wrong, you know about it. 20 years later, I can still vividly remember lying awake in bed praying, Lord, have mercy on this child and let them fall asleep. <laughs> Teenagers are the opposite. They've gone to the point where they're fully independent, right? And if they wake up in the night, they're probably not going to cry about it. But if you wake them up, you might not hear the end of it. Um, <laughs> but there's this difference between the infant, which is very needy and squirmy, and when it needs something, it cries for it, and the independence of the older child, the teenager, who doesn't need a whole lot from mom and dad anymore and probably won't be caught holding their hand. The weaned child is somewhere in between, what we might call the toddler or, yeah, just a child. The weaned child is somewhere between squirmy neediness and utter independence. Young children with trustworthy parents are in that sweet spot. They're not really worrying about their next meal, but they're also not shopping for groceries. So when this psalm talks about the weaned child, it's trying to paint this picture of the young child who's matured to the point where they're not helpless, but they're also not complete, and so not completely selfish. I mean, we don't begrudge the infant for being selfish. They're just a picture of neediness, of, of self-focus. And we're not yet the matured child that has no need for mom and dad. So the conclusion I draw is that God desires us to move away from helplessness, but not quite to full independence. The balance between self-focus and self-sufficiency. Maybe this is what Jesus meant about childlike faith. For multiple times in the Gospels, he would bring a child up and say, if you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven, you must be like this child. Just that spot, that sweet spot of trust. The proud heart from verse 1 can be expressed in two ways. 
the self-focus, and the self-sufficiency. The pride of self-focus is where we come, become so preoccupied with what we're doing, with I'm in charge and what I want is what is most important. Very few people would be so brash to, to say that they were more important than God. But many of us live this way. A quick inventory of the way that I spend my time and money might reveal indeed that I'm more proud than I would like to say. And God calls us out of this self-focus towards a focus on Christ. As Jesus calls us in Mark 8 and 34, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. You know, this is the core message of this church. I believe it's the core message, the heart of the scriptures. You cannot have peace of soul you can't have that quiet and still, still soul if you haven't given it to Jesus. If you are rather indulging yourself and living as if you're the one that's in charge, you're only ever, well, you might win for a season, but you won't find that still and peaceful heart endures. Many of you, of course, I believe, have done that, that you have given your life to Jesus. You're willing to call him Lord and King, that he is the one that you ultimately serve. And if you haven't done that, then this is absolutely the first step towards that still and quiet soul. You need to get to know Jesus. You need to put him on the throne where he already is. So if you are feeling the turmoil of life as you're trying to live it for yourself, I'd love to chat with you more after the service to help you find out more about what it means to place your life in the hands of Christ. So that's self-focus. Self-sufficiency, I think, is a little more subtle. And even those of us who would say that they've given their lives to Christ can fall into this sense of self-sufficiency. It's kind of like saying, okay, yeah, Jesus is my king, but I'm still going to manage most things. The pride of self-sufficiency is doing it alone. And although as natural parents, we want to see our children become independent and, and live adult lives, there's not a direct comparison with our relationship with God. Of course, God wants us to mature spiritually, but he doesn't want us to move ever to that point where we're not in partnership with him, that we're not, that we're kind of saying, okay, I'm now spiritually mature enough that I don't need the spirit of God in my life. Like, the utter independence, that, that sense of, of personal autonomy is not spiritual maturity. This is how Jesus speaks to it in John chapter 15. He says, I am the vine, 
and you are the branches. If a person remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you could do nothing. So, if you've given your heart to Christ, it doesn't mean that you go on uh, to just kind of go back to being in charge for yourself. There's this sense of vine and branches, of connection with Christ, of, of partnership with him, that life is with God. It's not for God. It's not um, to be lived alone. The whole reason we're to pursue God's goals and to do so in partnership and in his strength is so that there's no confusion about who gets the glory. This is important for our testimony to others because if people look at us, not that they're supposed to because comparison's wrong, <laughs> they should not be saying, oh, isn't David doing such a great job? It should be, let's give the glory to Jesus. Notice, uh, well, 1 Peter 4 and 11. It says, if anyone serves, he should do it with the strength that God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. So when we work with God, when we're in partnership with him, the glory is given always up to God because apart from him we can do nothing so the stilled and quieted soul resists both the, both the pride of self-focus as well as the pride of just self-sufficiency where are you with God I certainly can feel that pride of self-sufficiency, that sense of autopilot. Okay, I've got this one, God. I've, I've, I've done this before. I, 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 I don't need your help on this one. I know full well that I'm not immune to self-focus. But it's that self-sufficiency that so easily creeps in, doesn't it? I'm quick to launch out on and do things in my own strength. All in all, the still and quiet soul is found in a humble confidence. A humble confidence in a great God and Savior. It's not preoccupied with the comparison with others, and it recognizes the limitations. It endeavors to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. And it seeks God's power and glory, not our own. And finally, it chooses to do this with others. The final phrase of the psalm is, O Israel, O Lambrick, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. This phrase could sound a little bit proud, couldn't it? It's like, well, I have the stilled and quieted soul. Oh, Lambrick, won't you join me? Uh, David saying, I have this 
still and quiet soul. Oh, Israel, put your hope in God. I am. I see it more as an invitation. It's saying, I have found this place with God. Let's all join him there. This is also a reminder that we can't and shouldn't do it alone. That there is an O Israel, there is others to walk with us. On this upward journey, we will grow weary and we will stray from the path and we will need people at times to say, oh, why don't you join me? You're looking a little tired, but we can travel this path together. We need others who will call us back when we stray and pull us forward when we slow. Pilgrims never walk alone. So I invite you to prayer as we close. I'm going to put a prayer on the slide here and give you a moment to just kind of uh, review it. But I'm hoping that we can pray this together. And then as we pray this, the team will lead us into a final song which declares this sense of it being well with our soul. It's not a song that says everything's okay. It's a song that says even when things aren't okay, God is on the throne. Jesus is the one who's in control. And if I'm with him, it's well with my soul. So let's pray this prayer together. Lord, we desire not to be full of ourselves or look down on anyone else. There are many things beyond our control and many more beyond understanding. Help us find a still and quiet souls, neither squirming in neediness nor self-sufficient in independence. For yours is the kingdom, power and glory, both now and forever. Amen.